Welcome in to episode 98 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today we have our first trio of hosts in a very long time. First up, Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Uh, you know him, you love him. Sean, how the heck are you? Doing well, Jack. How are you? Oh, I'm just fantastic, and we are also joined once again by Zach Gagan of Kentucky Sports Radio. How the heck are you? Glad to be back, Jack. Oh, I like the I like the rhyming there. Well, we are coming off of a very fun trip to Memphis. We all went down to uh, Memphis for the Iverson Classic, the only All-American event of the year. And what can you say? It was uh, it was quite something. There was a lot going on, a lot of good, some not so good, but plenty to discuss. Uh, we got to see Damian Collins in action. We got to see Bryce Hopkins in action. We got to see Ty Ty Washington, who is uh, ramping up, gearing up for a decision on Saturday. He's going to commit on May 15th. And we also spent the uh, entire weekend talking to parents, talking to coaches, talking to, you know, other people in the know throughout the crowd, you know, just kind of doing our, doing our dirty work, kind of dividing and conquering. So we're going to talk about some of the latest that we heard on, on some of these guys' recruitment and, and just general feel around the program and those sorts of things. So plenty to discuss. It's going to be a very fun show. We're going to start with our uh, kind of unofficial scouting reports on the three players of interest, I guess, you know, starting with the two signees that UK has, Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins, and then we're going to uh, obviously touch on what we saw out of Ty Ty Washington. So, uh, so Zach, we'll, I'll start with you. We, uh, we kind of talked about this on the show last time with, with Sean. We kind of got uh, screwed over a little bit in terms of timing and schedule and not getting the itiner itinerary in our hands. So we were supposed to show up on Thursday to see the, uh, the scrimmages and the practices and all that stuff. Uh, but we ended up not being able to get there till Friday because we didn't even know these practices and scrimmages were happening. So we got there right in time for these scrimmages on Friday, uh, kind of the last ditch getting ready for the game on Saturday type deal. So I kind of want to ask what your general thoughts were, you know, kind of when we got there and the just general feel. What, what did it feel like to kind of be back in, in your element? I know we just went up to Indianapolis for the Made Hoops event, but uh, to kind of see – tomorrow's college basketball stars today what was that like it was nice to have a little dose of anxiety before we even were able to get down there with the unknowingness of if where we were going we actually went to the wrong gym initially yeah. when we even got down there after driving for six whatever hours it yeah. was at the crack of dawn so you know it's always you need to start the story off on a good foot so that's that was a nice one there but once we did get there, uh, obviously, you know, we did the indie thing a couple weeks ago, so we're not uh, strangers to the uh, return from COVID. But uh, at the same time, this one I thought was even more fun than that, just because of the level of talent that was there and, and being able to go in and see some of these scrimmages. Really, the coolest part was obviously the talent on the court was crazy, but the talent around the court, like in terms of uh, coaches uh, or and, uh, like Rasheed Wallace and Steven Jackson were coaches. There was uh, scouts, like we saw a bunch of scouts and NBA personnel. We saw Sam Presti, the OKC GM multiple times uh, taking notes down, doing whatever he has to do to pick uh, Cause he's obviously going to have the next thousand picks for the <laughs> next 10 years as uh, you and I know, Jack. Uh, but th that part, well, I, th I thought was really cool being able to see all that. And we also talked to a bunch of different parents. We were able to, you know, talking to 
Damian Collins' parents and Ty Ty Washington's parents for the first time. And I think that was the first time we've been able to, or you've been able to talk to any of them, Jack. So, uh, yeah, in person, yeah. Yeah, in person. So, establishing those relationships, it was definitely cool. Good to be back. There was a lot of people there. Um, but I enjoyed it overall. And my experience was great. I thought it was the most, uh, even more fun than the indie one that we did a couple of weeks ago, just in terms of what we were able to see and experience the dunk contest itself, I thought was one of my favorite individual moments with uh, Jaden Davison, the Alabama commit who we could probably talk about more later, but that was just, those were my initial thoughts. I loved it personally. Yeah. I was kind of frustrated a little bit uh, when we finally got there for the scrimmages, I was expecting to see a whole bunch of Damian Collins, a whole bunch of Ty Ty Washington, a whole bunch of Bryce Hopkins and the the part of this, the scrimmage that we got to see, Damian Collins didn't play the entire second half. Ty Ty Washington barely played in the second half. And Bryce Hopkins played, but definitely wasn't as, you know, he wasn't one of the premier, you know, top, you know, Chet Holmgren's or Paolo Bancaro's of the world where, you know, he, he wasn't at the top of the rotation needing to get those, you know, late minute, late game situation reps and all that stuff. So it was kind of a little let down that we, got in the car at 5 a.m. that Friday morning, got there, and, you know, very limited sample size of, of the scrimmage itself. But they definitely turned around in the, after, the, the afternoon of events and, and late evening events with the three-point contest, um, dunk contest, and, you know, the one-on-one, and they did a bunch of different cool things. So that, that part was definitely cool. And before we move on to the, the game itself, I thought it was pretty telling that Ty Ty Washington – stepped in UK target who's committing on Saturday. He was not originally slated to be in the three point contest. And he just kind of stood up and said, I'm going to shoot right now. And they were like, all right, next up, Ty Ty Washington. He walked over to the, to the rack, took, took a couple shots, you know, practice shots. And Zach, the way, you know, like we, we saw his shooting numbers this, this past season. I think he shot 48% from the field, 41%, 42% from three, and like 88% from the three-point line or free, free throw line. Uh, he, he put those numbers out personally on, on his Twitter page a couple months back, uh, kind of emphasizing that, yes, I am a shooter. You guys need to realize that I am a shooter. But the way he just kind of nonchalantly walked onto the floor and said, screw it, I'm going to participate in this three-point contest, got a couple shots off. And the way he – ramped up like you know we kind of made a couple missed a couple to start with but when he caught fire from from three in that three-point contest it was like whoa this dude's shot is beautiful the muscle memory is there it's the same shot over and over there's no funkiness there's no hitch there's I mean it's it is a pure like through and through shooter shot and it was like wow I mean he ended up he won the first round with I think he had 18 points Mm -hmm. and then the second round he finished with another 18 again so consistent there won both rounds he he had the most most of of anybody in the event so he went out there and just kind of wasn't planning on participating and said screw it I'm gonna go beat all these dudes in in this three-point contest and I thought that was uh quite telling that uh, that that he is he is a shooter whether fans want to believe it or not I know there are some people griping that oh what can he do in a game all he can do is just catch you know pick balls off a rack and shoot on open jump shots what happens when there's a hand in his face what happens when he's in a game setting and we'll get to that later because he also showed that he could do that but at least on Friday it was a wow this dude is is one hell of a shooter they kept just kind of going with the names as well in the three-point shootout. I didn't realize that Tata wasn't supposed to do it until you just said that, actually. 
it felt like I what they had like ten guys do the three point sh- shootout, ten another ten guys do the dunk contest. I guess they were just letting them show off their uh, all their stuff, but it felt like it just kept going and going. And then even then, Ty Ty still beat a field of yeah. Eventually, I mean, it had to have been close to ten players, ten of you know the top best shooters in the country. So it's obviously just a a whatever shoot them off the rack type deal. But the big takeaway is that is just his pure mechanics of his shot, where you know it was just perfect and beautiful, and one of the best things that you could take away from. Uh, a little shooting event like that so I was really impressed with just that in general and then obviously uh, we'll talk about what he did the next day but just the jump shot in general looks very very uh, pure as they say absolutely and Damian Collins also technically participated in the dunk contest yeah uh, but he it was kind of same situation they were like hey you want to you want to throw down some dunks and he was like yeah I guess and he stepped yeah. out he did. just kind of brought him out, it felt like, at the last second. And he was like, oh, well, because even when I asked him afterwards, I was like, did you know you were going to do that? And he said, no. I was like, oh, okay. Well, so you, I, I heard you ask, you know, have you been practicing those dunks? And he was like, nope. No. This is the first time I <laughs> ever did any of those. He still did one nice one where he kind of, like, uh, threw it behind his back or whatever he did. But the, the one he made, was it was pretty. And, I mean, he's 6'9 and lengthy. So, it's obviously he can, he can get up and dunk if yeah. he wants to. I'm sure he could get something in his bag if he'd like. Absolutely. So that was the first day and night of events. And then, uh, Sean, this is where you you arrived late Friday night, uh, got there. And then Saturday, there was, uh, you know, we, we were able to see the game itself. There was media day. It was, uh, you, you got to see all of it in action for the first time. So what, what were your initial thoughts of, of showing up to the event and just kind of how, how it was all put together? It was fun, obviously. Uh, I thought the Iverson Classic took advantage of being the premier event. Uh, with no McDonald's, no Hoop Summit, no Jordan Brand Classic, I, I thought that they they did an excellent job, just taking advantage of the opportunity and showcasing that game. Because Jack, that's a that's an event that really doesn't get much attention. I don't know how many people actually watch that in a normal year, but all eyes were on it this year just due to the fact that there was no other uh, showcase to uh, kind of show off these off these guys coming into college. But the, the thing that stood out to me was the level that they played at the competitiveness that they went full speed uh, obviously shot selection it was still the all-star game top shot selection but guys were going at one another which is something that you don't get when you have the McDonald's and Jordan Brand and all those things so guys were there knowing NBA scouts NBA personnel were in the building uh, I think that that elevated the play and uh, the best of the best definitely put on a performance yeah I mean, you know, Chet Holmgren was the kind of premier name Paolo Bancaro was the other premier name that was kind of one that everybody said, oh, it's one versus, one versus two. And, and you know, who, who is the real number one pick? And you could kind of get the sense that that competitive, they were particularly going at each other uh, pretty, pretty hard. Another matchup that I liked was um, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who we've talked about on the show plenty, 6'10", 255 pounds, just, you know, built like a tank. He was going heads up against Mike Foster, who had just signed with the G League. And um, it was like – two boulders going at each other. I mean, just massive monsters of human beings going at each other. And Mike Foster, I, I compare very strongly to, to Julius Randle. I think that's always been my comp for him since seeing him a couple years back, just kind of that when, when he gets a full, full head of steam going, just kind of that momentum going downhill. I mean, there's just nobody that can stop him. He's just an absolute tank, a very comfortable dribbling the ball. I, I really liked him. Brandon Huntley Hatfield's a guy that you guys know that I, I've been pretty frustrated with. Uh, you know, knowing his body and knowing what he could be if he just kind of realized how massive of a human he is and, and how strong he is, it, it was kind of 
oh, it, it, I, be, I feel like it, it opened his eyes a little bit more going against it a constant workhorse like Mike Foster, who was just going at him and just kind of throwing elbows and just, you know, being really physical. It kind of, I think it kind of pushed Huntley Hatfield to be like, all right, well, you know, this is what NBA type talent is going to be. This is, this is, uh, you know, I'm not competing at, at, you know, where, wherever he transferred up in Pennsylvania that, that, you know, Scotland Institute or whatever it was called, you know, the, this was, I'm competing against the best of the best. This is how I got to act. So I thought those those two matchups in particular were some of my favorites. Uh, and then the other one that everybody kind of had their eye on for obvious reasons was Nolan Hickman on you know, leading the charge for one group. And then UK target Ty Ty Washington leading the other group. Nolan decommitted from UK uh, just less than two weeks ago. And that was a situation that you know, we've talked about on the show and I, you know, I talked to his dad and I, I talked to him more. I, I talked to his dad probably 30 minutes at, at this event, just kind of getting the ins and outs of it and, and you know, kind of following up with him on it. And it, it was a difficult situation for them. I think, you know, they didn't want to leave Kentucky. They were very happy with it. They were ready to move in at the end of this month. And um, they just kind of one of those situations that they, they felt like they had to do what they had to do with, uh, you know, him being homesick from being in Utah for the last year and just a lot of different things that went into it, you know, the coaching changes and um, just kind of seeing that UK was recruiting eight, nine different point guards and not knowing if he was their premier guy anymore. Was, there's just a lot that went into it, into that decision. But Ty Ty Washington is kind of the uh, penciled in replacement for Nolan and they went heads up, you know, back and forth through, throughout the entire event, both in the scrimmages and in the game itself. So Zach, what did you think of your first initial reaction of, uh, of that head to head matchup? Um, I was, I think Ty Ty Washington came away as the better looking player. If you just want to kind of, you know, do a one-on-one -on -one, one game sample type deal. Um, cause even in the scrimmages and practices, I felt like they weren't going as, uh, hard as they, uh, probably or they definitely weren't going as hard as they did in the actual, uh, all American game, which I thought it might've been reversed, but, yeah. um, it ended up not being that way. Like the McDonald's game or the, uh, all American game was very, very hard played. So, um, but my, just my general takeaways from that was, I thought, I did think Nolan looked good. He had a couple of, uh, good plays at the rim. I, um, I, I was impressed with how he, he looked like how I've seen him on film. So uh, there was nothing too surprising there. Um, I, I, there weren't too many instances where the two of them went like one-on-one -on -one against each other. Uh, Ty Ty spent most of that game, uh, especially early on playing like the three for some of it. I don't know why, like he just didn't get the ball in his hand that often. Whenever he did, he was trying to push, uh, which is, I, I was a fan of that. Um, I like the fact that he was pushing the ball no matter what. And then kind of towards the end there when the, they shocked every, everyone in the crowd by doing an Elam ending without really announcing <laughs> it at anybody all. anybody that it was happening. <laughs> like, so for those that don't know, the Iverson Classic did a, four, a full 12-minute uh, four-quarter event. And then after the four quarters were over, they just did an Elam ending with half the crowd on its way out. So, but the Elam ending was, uh, it was still pretty uh, enticing, even though uh, one team was up by like 12 or 14. But for those, that, people, it's, they, they added 20, they said, uh, the game is over we're going to add 24 points to to it for the target score and whoever gets the that target to, to that target score first wins. So it was, yeah, they were the, the winning team was up by, like you said, 10, 12 points or whatever. So they added 24 points to that and said, yeah. you now have to get to 142 points and that's, who's going to decide the winner. And it was like 10 o'clock at night and we were all like, yeah. 
Good lord, come on! It's like I don't even think the players knew at that point. No, they did. Thankfully, thankfully, they did do that. Well, they did, and that's what I was about to get to because the and what was nice about the one team being up so much was it allowed Ty Ty Washington to do whatever he wanted, and he was like, "All right, I've been sitting around for four quarters. I'm just going to start taking over and see what I can do." And if I just serving off memory here, I would think he went four for eight from three during that Elam ending, maybe four for seven. Uh, had one where he got fouled, hit three free throws. I think he finished with 15 points in that Elam ending, maybe like 18 in total uh, throughout the whole 20, game. 22 points total. 22 but I think total. He had 15 in the. I think it might have been at the end of like toward the yeah. end of the fourth quarter. Lead. I think at the end of the fourth quarter he hit like two, like one or two threes, and then going into that that Elam ending, I think he hit another four. I, I thought he hit like five or six straight threes or at least not maybe not consecutive maybe missed one or two in that stretch but it was enough to where it was bang 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 I mean just yeah. just over and over again it was like I mean this well, didn't game. even pass it was not passing it anymore like he was like okay I'm just gonna get up the court I'm gonna get to my my point here and his teammates did a good job or he did a good job as well of getting himself in position to get open threes it's not like he was just coming down and necessarily hitting them right in some dude's face he was kind of you know putting himself in a position to make those threes even as the point guard so uh I, I that that was really you know up until that point we hadn't seen too much from him other than the fact that he was I thought he was a better passer than I knew about I didn't realize he was that slick with it and has very pretty good self-awareness to find the right man and just push ahead when it's appropriate to push. So I was impressed. I was vastly impressed with what I saw from, from Ty Ty Washington. Um, but that's my, that was my first time seeing him one, one game in person. So I will also admit that. And Sean, we, we were talking throughout the, you know, the start of the game, Nolan Hickman did a lot of very, very impressive things that we both looked at each other and said, that was a loss, man. Like that lo- losing him, that hurts. Cause I mean, he, he is, what no no matter what you want to say about him or his ranking or you know how things unfolded or whatever that is a kid that his pace his the way he controls the floor the his court vision the way I mean he just kind of keeps that ball on a string it just it feels like he has such control with the ball in his hands every time he's on the floor and I and that quality was like I mean it was it was very very apparent and I, I thought a lot of his teammates on, on you know on the floor were feeding off of him very well and feeding off of his energy very well. It was just like he might not be the most flashy player on the floor, but it definitely felt like he was one of the best game managers at the event for sure. And I think a lot of, you know, Jonathan Gavoni, some of the other big name guys that were there uh, singled him out. And I thought it was a little bit more worrisome to start the game and you, you know, we we both said the same thing that we kind of we didn't know what we felt about Ty Ty being the guy, the lead guy. You know, would he better be better off as an, an off ball threat? Because yeah, we know he can. He's a catch and shoot type guy. You know, he can he can knock down shots. But it it just felt like every time the ball was in his hands early for the first, I mean, legitimately the first three quarters of the game he constantly deferred to his teammates. And, yeah, he had some beautiful passes and, and some gorgeous assists, but it just felt like that aggression and that that killer instinct, I'm going to put this team on my back and lead them to victory, it just didn't feel like it was there. And, you know, kind of kind of nonchalantly ran up the floor a couple times. And it, But obviously he turned it around at the end of the game. But there was a brief moment in that game where, both Sean, both you and I were, we were like, 
this is this is the guy that everybody's saying is is it you know like this is this is going to be Kentucky's you know star point guard next season like it, it just it, it was a little difficult to start with seeing Nolan play as well as he did especially after seeing him play so well in the scrimmage yesterday on Friday and Ty Ty not playing at all in the second half that was kind of telling and then in the game itself Nolan vastly out, out playing Ty Ty to at least start the game Sean I know you and I both had similar concerns yeah I did especially there I think it was the second quarter and I looked at you and I, I, and I said okay it, Kentucky needs somebody to be a lead guard uh, I don't know how this is going to work, but then you got to see him take over down the stretch. And when, when he decided to take over and he had that stretch there, and it wasn't just that he hit the shots. I thought it was that he was taking the shots. And then he, he played with a quicker pace, I thought, uh, in the final few minutes of that game um, there in the fourth quarter and then the extra period there. But I actually came away more encouraged by Tata Washington's game from the overall complete body of work because you saw him be a willing passer. We saw him pass up a lot of shots there in the first half, first three quarters, finding guys. Uh, he had got to his floater a couple of times. I thought that was encouraging to see that he has that part of his game. But the, the biggest takeaway for me, Jack, is that I went into, I went into this game thinking, okay, Kentucky needs a lead guard. They need a ball dominant guard that can, can go get his own, can set the table for others. And he's that. Like, he he did all those things. But the, the another thing that I like about it, too, is whoever – we know Kentucky's going to add another point guard. If they do that, Ty Ty Washington has proven to me that he can play alongside that other piece because if, let's say that other piece can only handle the basketball, set the table from the point guard spot. Ty Ty Washington can shoot it so well, Jack, that he can slide off the ball, play that two, even that three if Kentucky goes to a three-guard look. And let's just put it this way. C.J. Frederick, Kellen Grady, Dante Allen, you had Ty-Ty Washington to it. That is one of the best shooting backcourts John Calipari will have had at Kentucky. I promise. I don't know who else would even – I thought 2011 with Brandon Knight, Deron Lamb, Darius sure. Miller. I th that's what it kind of reminds me of. But yeah. I just feel like you're, you have four capable guys I think could shoot around 40% or more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it was – it was like a, it was like an alarm went off in his head. It was like, all right, I've spent three quarters of this game being the best, you know, facilitator, making sure the ball is in, in you know, play. It, it, he was playing. He was feeding off of others almost too much. It felt like it was like he he was wanting to force the issue and make sure everybody else got theirs, not worried about him getting his. And that's, I mean, it's it's a great trait, you know you. I was talking to David Sisk about it and I was kind of telling him my concerns before he, he took off, uh, you know, there at the end. And he was like, well, you know, you almost want a point guard that's quick to get the ball out of his hands. You know, think about Devin Askew this last year and a lot of, uh, you know, just the past couple of years, drip, the players that have dribbled the air out of the ball have been more prone to turnovers and you know this is a guy that he's a very quick decision maker he's you know he's he's quick you know he's fast on his feet he, he doesn't he he didn't make any mistakes with the ball in his hands and I, and I thought that was something telling that it, it came off as him not being aggressive enough to start the game but then when like you said Sean when we got to the final body of work it was like wow this is a dude that is a true facilitator a true playmaker 
who can, you know, even, even when he's playing through others can find his own shots. He had what, eight points in the first half. I know he had two, uh, you know, those two floaters at one on the baseline that one uh, at the, you know, coming from the top of the key, he had that, uh, you know, three, four footer. And then he hit that, that catch and shoot three from, from the top of the key Mm -hmm. as well. So he can get his when he wants it, even when he's playing through the others. But he can also take games over and be that true superstar threat when he wants to be too. And I think that in itself was the most like eye-opening thing for the, from the entire event. Yeah, he, he's very quiet. And I thought early on it was, a, it was more of a let-me-get-comfortable type thing. And I think that's why he was deferring because you, you kind of saw his confidence grow as the game went along. And by the end of it, I mean, he was locked in. He was feeding off the crowd. I mean, his team was not going to win that game, but he put on a performance there in the final few minutes, and that's what we needed to see. Like, as we we were sitting there talking, I looked in, at you two, and I said, this is the first time I've been at an all-star event and felt like Kentucky did not have the best guys. Mm-hmm. And that was across the board. You're talking Duke. You're talking Chet with Gonzaga. I mean, Alabama, other schools that you're used to seeing Kentucky kind of load up and have three or four of those guys. I needed to see what Ty Ty Washington did in that final stretch of that game because it, it changed my overall outlook if they do get Ty Ty on what this class is because uh, that he's certainly, in my opinion, I, I think he was one of the top six performances there over the weekend. Obviously, you can't argue with how good Chet was. I mean, Palo's Palo. There were a lot of good performances, but I, I put Ty Ty up in that top five, top six that – the way he finished that, it, it stands out to me. And one yeah. of the better players there for sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say we'll, we'll talk about his recruitment and kind of, you know, we, we spent a ton of time talking to Ty Ty's family and, and uh, people that know his recruitment very well. So I, I would be willing to bet that we're, you know, kind of as up to date on Ty Ty's recruitment as, as just about anybody else out there. I thought we did a, a hell of a job between the three of us uh kind of getting to the bottom of a lot of these things but so but but before we get into the recruiting stuff and some of the other names out there that we need to keep an eye on um let's go through the other two UK signees and and how they performed as well I want to start with Damian Collins because this is a kid that we all know him as you know you talk to his coach and he's like oh he's like a, a, a combination of Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis and you talk to, you know, people close to – I mean, he look at his numbers. He averaged, what, like 35, 20, 10, and 7 or something ridiculous his senior year. I mean, some of the best – the most ridiculous, absurd numbers uh, that you could come up with. He, he, I remember he told me going into his senior year that his goal was to average a quadruple double, that he was he, – and he, he was going to, you know, trying to push for that 10-block-a-game mark, that he wanted, he wanted 10 blocks a game. I think he ended up with, with 7 or 8, but – that was his goal, but it was definitely indicative of the competition of what he's playing, especially after watching him this weekend. Um, I think it's very clear that he is not even remotely close. I mean, he's probably 30% of the basketball player that he's going to be at the end of the day. And uh, I, I kind of needed to take a step back and think, how much of a day one impact player is he going to be? Uh, I think he did a lot of very, very impressive things. I thought there were times that, you know, his, his just pure basketball instincts and, and just, you know, length and, and athleticism just kind of took over at times. But in terms of a pure basketball shooter, uh, basketball player, Zach, I, the, I, I came away with a lot of questions. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think he uh, – like you said, we got there late uh, to the practice scrimmage thing on Friday. Apparently, he played better on Thursday. That was the day we didn't really get to see too much. Um, so, Friday, we didn't see him too much. And even in the, the actual All-American game, he was kind of behind, you know, uh, he was on the same team as Chet and um, and some other big guys. So, it just – he didn't he didn't necessarily play too much, but you could tell that he hasn't been uh, – it, honestly, it didn't seem like he cared too much about that either. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but he's he's just a quiet kid in general, so that's probably just more part of his nature. But um, he tried he, – like he had one time where he stepped out for uh, from beyond the arc and uh, took a, a three-pointer. I don't think he made it, but he was trying to show off all his, little vers- all his versatility, and uh, he had a nice put-back dunk. And it's clear that I think that from day one he can be – a, a decent impact on defense just from the fact that he is so big and long. And that's the, that's the biggest thing you take away is even though he's six, nine, he looks like he's, I mean, he stretches out to like what a seven footer would. So he was he, in that aspect, you know, the, the, all the uh, physical attributes are there, but like you were saying at 30%, that might even be generous. I mean, he's, he's about as raw as they come, but you can see like even his jump shot at six foot nine is like, it's nice looking. There's not too much issue with it. So the, the potential is there, but it's just going to be of how much uh, is that competition going to play into, like how big of a transition will that be for him? And I guess that's just something we'll have to find out when he gets here. Sean, you talked about uh, – you looked over at me and you were like, man, what he's going to do against – you know, Oscar Sheboy against him, maybe even like Lance Ware against him. I mean, he's going to have his work cut out for him, for him from a physical standpoint. I talked to his dad afterward and – I was like, I was like, you know, how's he doing? How how are things going? I know he didn't get all that much playing time, and you know he didn't do much in the scrimmage. And he's like, we don't care, man. He's like, this is a vacation for us. This is, you know, <laughs> he, he said, uh, he said, you know, this is, he said these these players that have been here have been practicing and training since they were four years old. They said, Dam-, he said, Damian didn't pick up a basketball until he was sixteen years old. Like he grew up, you know, we we had him on on our podcast. At, back in October, I believe. And he was talking about how he grew up riding horses and like living, living on a ranch. And we, we left, when we left, we saw Damien's family pile up in a big old monster pickup truck. You know, they're, they're Texas through and through. Uh, I mean, really, really just very interesting, awesome, like family. And, and just that whole dynamic, just very, very intriguing a story that I'm sure you guys are going to hear more and more as, as uh, you know, his Kentucky career goes on. But he said, we've never let him touch weights. We don't want him to, you know, hit the weight room. He's like, we're wait, we're saving that for his, his time at Kentucky. Uh, you know, we're confident that this, when, when he gets, you know, with coach Rob, you know, coach, coach strong at UK, that he's going to kind of change his body around and all that. So even his family understands that he is a, work in progress through and through and Sean I, I I don't know if that makes you more worried or or more confident in in the fact that their that his family even knows that this might not be a uh, you know maybe still be a one and done player but he is absolutely behind his peers at this level if 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 Oscar Sheboy wasn't on the roster I'd be very concerned because I think him and Lance Ware both will bully Davian in those early season practices. The big thing is, Jack, is we expect a normal summer for Kentucky men's basketball, which means they'll be in the weight room from late May, early June, all the way through up until that first game. And, and there will be some growth and progression there. 
they'll they'll all get stronger. We expect Damien to get stronger. But as far as his overall game, very raw. I mean, he's you can see the potential. His ranking is based off potential. It's not based off of what he is right now. Uh, but I do think that he can add a couple of things. Like, and this is where we talk about Keon Brooks and Jacob Toppin in that four spot, where I'm okay with it as long as da- as long as Damian Collins isn't forced into having to be something from day one that he's not. Yeah, Kentucky and Damian Collins both I think will be fine. Uh, but I do think that running, sprinting out of ball screens to, to some of the rim runs and, and you know dunking, uh, blocking shots, just those energy plays is where I think he can make impacts right away as a freshman. But I, I think he's a guy that once he gets the body, fine-tunes his game. We saw him be able to shoot the ball a little bit in warm-ups and stuff from the perimeter. And I'm, I went into the weekend thinking, is he a four? Can he play a five? He doesn't have the body to beat and bang with the physical fives in college basketball. He certainly has the athleticism to play with anyone. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see exactly how far he develops, how much he develops – and where will Kentucky use him? Will they play him alongside a guy like Oscar Chibwe? I don't know how much they can play him alone at the five unless they're playing against a team that doesn't have just a guy that can just bully Kentucky in the post. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic because Sheboy is also known as a high-energy kind of – not necessarily a rim-running type guy. I mean, he can, he can give you a putback, but he's kind of a little bit more below-the-basket kind of – bruiser that's going to uh, you know make an impact on that front but I do think that considering the number of shooters Kentucky's going to have around him especially if Ty Ty Washington joins the fold there's going to be a lot of putback opportunities there's going to be a lot of cleanup opportunities for Damian and that might be where he is you know let him you know it's very clear his defensive instincts are there he's going to he's going to be a a high level shot blocker this year and he's probably going to still be a high level rebounder almost in that same Nerlens Noel you just kind of got to live with the you know with the offensive struggles at this point just kind of take the defensive uh, and and the defensive and, and rebounding numbers you know prioritize those especially considering the shooting around him I think that is going to be the key for keeping Damian on the floor is if he can if he can be that high level putback guy, high level rebounder, get you know get second chance, third chance opportunities. I think that's where he's going to be the biggest, yeah. uh, make the biggest impact. Run the floor well and transition. We saw him and Bryce Hopkins get out on a two on two on one. He finished it with a dunk. He's a human pogo stick, Jack. Mm-hmm. When you watch him get off the floor, uh, he battled there for a rebound with Paolo Ben Carroll there in front of you on the base in the baseline on the second half, and he got his tail kicked. Yeah. And that was the thing that stood out to me. He, he, he doesn't have the body or the frame to go up against those guys. Uh, but I do think that once he gets on campus, gets in the weight room, and that's a guy that doesn't touch weights. I mean, his body's going to change rapidly the, the moment he starts touching weights. Uh, so I, I expect that he will be a guy that will talk about getting better and better. But it, it is this is certainly a different class for Kentucky basketball than what they typically have. Yeah, <laughs> he was seen as the like can't miss top ten kid, and to both of you guys, I'm kind of curious what you both think. I kind of came away thinking that he might have a two year future at Kentucky. Like I don't know, I didn't look at him and think this is a one and done player. And I know our perception of one and done and what actually ends up being, you know, considering how many guys leave after one year, no matter how their first year goes, but talking to his family and how comfortable they were and acknowledging 
we know that he's not even close to the basketball player he's going to be. We, we are ready for his college experience. We want to send him off and, and uh, you know, make sure that he can get in the weight room and kind of change his body and turn into the player that we know he can become. I did not get the sense that that was a – we're ready to send him off for eight months and send him to the NBA right afterward. I, I really think that – that he might end up being a two-year player at Kentucky. I I do. I mean, he's just not. There. Might be a change in approach, right? Yeah. With this class, you you see the same thing with Bryce Hopkins, which we'll get into. That you could see, and it's never safe to assume with the transfer portal at Kentucky that guys are going to be there more than one year. But you're spot on with it. Like I think that this entire class, just the two that they have, could be kind of pillars to the program for a couple of years, and just be developmental pieces that just get better and better. And by the time that they're at their peak performance and ready to go to the league, then they get the Kentucky gets the best version of them. It might not be as a freshman. Yeah, uh, and well, I guess we can move straight over to to Bryce Hopkins because we're in that same, you know, same topic of conversation. I'll just uh, I'll disagree with the with the Damian Collins thing if you want. You, oh, you're gonna disagree with me? Go for it. I, I always yeah. love. I'll I'll say he's a one and done. And I, I think part of it is it, it goes back to what you were talking about, maybe with his, his personality in general, his family as well. They just didn't seem to that, – that was not necessarily his stage, I don't think, to show everything that he had and, and just the, and, you know, letting the, the, the other bigger player, the bigger names were obviously going to, you know, soak up most of the attention. I just think he kind of understood that and maybe knew that this isn't necessarily his element right now. And I think – a whole year at Kentucky will change. Like we see it happen all the time where players from day one, uh, like the first game to the 40th game are completely different uh, players and can go like the example is just most recently we can go with Shea uh, and talk about that, obviously completely different players, but same type of thing. So, and you know, even with Ty Ty Washington, I think he was more just kind of, enjoying the fact that he was there and if we didn't even have that elam ending you know we wouldn't have even seen him uh, show out like that and then we could be saying having a whole different conversation about him so True. i think part of it about damien was just that necessarily wasn't his that's not the platform that he wanted to try and collect all the minutes and and all the like he didn't i don't think he wanted to insert himself and try and be the guy you know you can say whatever you want about that personality wise, but once he's in Kentucky and he's in a situation where, you know, the coaches go over and over and over about what he's going to do, they're going to hone in on his certain aspects of what he's good at. And I think this will be a nice little tell of if Cal's, you know, really embracing the shooting thing uh, or more shooters, because I do think Damian Collins is a guy that can help stretch the floor. And if he can start shooting and if, you know, early, if his, you know, if he shoots 35% from three, that makes him a whole different player than anything we just saw. So that there's all those other variables that I'll, I'll, I'll try and throw in there and, and add in. And I do think he's going to be a one and done player because the, the athleticism alone, I think you could kind of look at it like compared to F, uh, Isaiah Jackson, like is Isaiah Jackson anywhere close to the player he's going to be? Not really. And we didn't think he was going to be a one and done. And now here he is. So I was, that's, that's what I'll say for that. Yeah. I think the only difference between Isaiah and I guess you can kind of compare it because Isaiah had a lot of guard experience, but I think his competition, he, he, Isaiah Jackson had EYBL experience. He played against high level competition, you know, even at the high school level, but they did give him a lot of, at Waterford Mott. They gave him a lot of free reign to, you know, do a lot of guard like thing, bring the ball to the floor, take jump shots. And I know they're doing the same thing at, at Atlanta high school, but I just can't, I can't get over the fact that where Damian Collins is, 
in high school. And, you know, it might be the, the same case of, of Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis at the high school level played against garbage competition. He put up, you know, inflated numbers, and everybody kind of thought the same thing. You know, they, put, they moved him up to number one in the country just kind of hoping that what they were seeing with their, you know, that he passed the eye test, that, that maybe what he was doing, even against as garbage of the competition that he was going against, that it was just because he was just that good. Same, you know, Zion Williamson, same thing. Everybody talked about how, oh, well, can he do this against, you know, high-level competition, same thing. So it could very well be the case of, you know, yeah, like you said, this event, just him, you know, kind of not taking it all too seriously. But it just the, – the weight, you know, it's not like – it's not like Chet where he has, you know, seven foot three size, but you know, skinny as a rail, like no weight to him at all, but he has such elite guard presence and and shooting touch. And just kind of, he, he, he is just such great spacing on the floor. And and he, he he has a lot of those things that make you go, ah, even with, with his weight concerns, he's still going to make an impact. The way Damian hasn't figured that part out yet and was still getting overwhelmed by guys like Paolo, got, you know, uh, you, you know those sized individuals, um, you know Brandon Huntley Hatfield, those kind of uh, you know weight that different weight class. It, that was the only thing that made me go, hmm, man. I just I got I got to see him first. I got to see what he becomes at at Kentucky. How much weight he puts on. How he grows under a Hall of Fame coach and you know new guys and coach Antigua, coach Chin, Jay Lucas, his, you know, his lead recruiter, how he, how he learns and develops into those guys. I need to see first before I kind of pencil him into the first, you know, first round lock in next year's draft type deal that we do with some of the uh, other near guarantees that we've had over. And and he's going to be more successful in my opinion, just because of the pieces he has around him. Like Zach was mentioned, like, you know, Zach talking about how he could see him being a one and done. I think it's going to be easier on Damian Collins because the experience Kentucky's going to have on this roster, the shooters Kentucky's going to have on this roster, then playing alongside Oscar Shibway, I think will help a ton too. I don't see the pressure. It's Kentucky, obviously, there's going to be pressure. I don't see the pressure being on this group of freshmen as, as much as it has been in the past, just with the guys that they're bringing in. Now, whoever the point guard is, if it's Tata Washington, obviously it's going to be bigger and more pressure because that position is kind of going to have to lead – lead the charge but overall when you're talking about a class uh, if there's some panic and some concern that this class doesn't really have that like dominant guy in it uh, I think that that's it's it's a good thing that Kentucky is going to have one of its more experienced rosters in the Calipari era honestly yeah absolutely um, well, let's uh, shift over just real quickly to Bryce Hopkins a player that I, I, when I talked to him on, on Friday afternoon, uh, I asked him, you know, what was it like watching Kentucky this past season and, and kind of feeling like you could, you could be of help to them currently, you know, where would you feel like you, you uh, kind of fit in there? And he was like, man, uh, I just feel like Kentucky didn't have that grit. They didn't have the rebounding. They didn't have that toughness. Uh, and he's like, I, those are the things that I provide. And both of you guys, I, I want to get both of your opinions because I thought he was the most, surprise you know, pleasant surprise of the event I thought that he was comfortable dribbling the ball like Sean I think we talked about it that he could play the three or the four I think there were a lot of concerns that he might just be a pure four or a tweener at that at, at his size a six 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 seven uh, ish size I think he is way more comfortable with the ball in his hands I mean like you said we he was pushing the fast break and and finding Damian Collins and transition for you know a dunk and 
I know he, he just felt way more comfortable with the ball in his hands and way more skilled than I think I've given him credit for. And, uh, you know, he's not going to be a, you know, 15 and 10 type guy from day one or anything crazy, but he definitely feels like he is a plug and play player from day one just because he will, he's going to provide toughness. He's going to provide, uh, you know, easy, you know, clean up opportunities down low. He, he's just so skilled and so physical at his size. I know every time I've talked to his dad, he's talked about how, you know, they're trying to transition, his, change his body a little bit, cut some weight, get, you know, that athleticism, up, athleticism speed up. But I really feel like he is very college ready from, from day one, Sean. Yeah, body-wise, for sure. He's the guy, Jack, that as soon as he gets a rebound, he can lead the break. Mm-hmm. I think that's what stood out to me, and he looks comfortable doing it. Like I mentioned, he hit Damian Collins on that two-on-one, that box-to-box uh, type of transition break that Kentucky primarily runs. Uh, I liked him. I, I, th- I think he is going to be a, a physical guy who can hit the offensive glass, hit the defensive glass. Uh, obviously, we, we've read and we've seen that he can be – a scorer at all three levels. We didn't get to see that this weekend as far as the three-point line, but as far as just body feel, feel the game, things like that, I think he was a guy that went into the weekend. I made the prediction last time we recorded. I said, that'll be the guy that we come home talking about. And here he he was the most – of him and Damian Collins, I just felt like there was more right now as far as complete basketball player to his game. And not many people have got to really see Bryce. Uh, Jack, I know that's the first time a lot of people got to see him. The first time I got to see him in action, uh, his body is what stands out to me. And his, you know, six around that six seven range uh, can handle the ball. Thought he made really really solid decisions with the basketball and uh, physical driving on the baseline. That first half when we were down there, he's he's a load when you get in there and beat and bang with him. So I, I'm interested to see. I think it's a very intriguing piece for John Calipari. Will it? primarily be the three that was the question that I had going to the weekend I was like is he going to be a three is he going to be a four I think he can play both but I'm more confident now knowing that he can actually play the three that's not a bad thing you get a guy get a rebound like that and lead the charge I like him I like his game Zach and I'll add it felt like he was just always around the ball he always you know found himself in position down low to you know for put back opportunities and and uh, it just it just felt like he is is that that premier dirty do the dirty work for you type guy. And I know he also he did participate on on Friday night. He participated in the three point contest. I think he made four of his first five, and uh, you know kind of slowed down a little bit there at the at the end. But proved that he can knock down shots as well. I, I he is not a superstar. He's not even a you know he's not a star. He's going he is a day one role player for Kentucky and I think that's something that you know when when you need bench pieces that are that are going to come in and produce how many how many times this past season alone and and you know in years past that we we go man it, it just feels like we're so top heavy that bench there's just not enough oomph there's it, we're not getting enough from from the you know those that the bottom and rotation players it just you get that sense watching Bryce Hopkins that he can be a, a player of that caliber. Yeah, I, I I pretty much agree with everything you all hit on. I think he's got the most college-ready body of, uh, you know, definitely of him and Damian and even of a lot of the players that were there. He was. I think he definitely needs to cut a little weight. He's going to be in that situation where 
I don't think right now he's he's fast enough or quick enough to guard threes, and he's not big enough to guard fours. So his defense will be an issue there, I think, especially early on. I think he's like he can come in and be a college ready player, but I'm not sure he's going to be ready to play right away uh, because of like what I was saying with the weight. And we didn't get to see too much of his all around offensive game. Um, I did like his shot mechanics when we watched him in the three point shootout. You know, you can go with that whatever you you want to. It's just uh, empty empty rack shooting, but um overall I was I was pretty impressed with him I thought there was a couple times he got overpowered just by the pure talent that he was going up against which is understandable that that Paolo block (laughs) yeah like one like where Paolo just sent his stuff into the ground like those those are things that I think he'll need to adapt to and that's why I think he could come out a little rocky out of the gates but he showed the ability like what we were saying love the ability to push the ball in transition and run and looking for his teammates he had that nice little play with Damian so uh and the rebounding will obviously help him a lot if he can be able to do that. Um, and it was nice that he could handle the ball and was smooth, but he just didn't look, he's not crazy athletic. If, if that athletic at all, at all, yeah. the defense moving his feet, I think will need to be probably addressed pretty quickly. So we'll see uh, just how, what he like, looks like when he actually gets here. But I, I do anticipate Bryce Hopkins being a very, very good player at one at some day uh, yeah. at Kentucky. More so powerful than athletic. Yes. Yeah, I would, I would describe him. Yeah, I thought I kind of came into the event assuming that fee, getting the feel that he would be a block to block kind of just pure power guy, but there was a lot more creativity, and I think smooth. Um, he was very smooth. He he initiated a lot of things from the you know he he would get the ball on the wing and look to create and put the ball on the floor and drive. There were just a lot of there were a lot of things, a lot, a lot more, you know, just added aspects to his game that I just didn't give him enough credit for, and that's kind of where I'm getting the sense that, that yes, he is he's limited. He is a top thirty-five player in the country for a reason. Like he's he's yeah. the reason he's not top 50, absolutely not top ten, but he is more day one college ready than a lot of the players in his in his grouping of I think he's just a lot more skilled he is ready made for the college game just in term in terms of of build in terms of you know being able to put the ball on the floor and just just he, he has a lot of creative uh, you know stuff that that he has in his bag that I just I didn't necessarily give him enough credit for so uh, you know it's he's just he's going to be one of those guys that I'm just really intrigued by where, you know, where he fits in from day one, you know, kind of, I feel like he and Lance Ware are going to have a lot of, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be battling for minutes a lot because they kind of, we kind of said the same thing about Lance Ware, but he ended up not being a skilled and, you know, they, they, you know, he was always around the ball and you you talk to his coaches in high school and the people that know his game the best, they're like, you know, he's never going to leave a goose egg in the, in the stat column. He's always going to give you some putbacks. He's always going to give you some, you know, clean up rebounds and just kind of second chance opportunities. But it feels like Bryce is a more polished version of Lance Ware from day one with, you know, guard skills, a three, four tweener version of Lance Ware, whereas Lance is more kind of a four or five. But I feel like they're going to they're going to be battling a lot at that four spot for some some of that th- those role minutes. And I, I think it's going to be they're, they're going to help each other a lot, I think, in the um, in practice for sure. It just, just you, programs like this need complimentary pieces like that. And I think Bryce is a very solid complimentary piece. All right. We can go straight into the recruiting stuff from here. I mean, there's kind of just a lot, a lot of little things, but um, definitely a lot to, to 
get through. So we'll just kind of go rapid fire one by one. Ty Ty Washington is a player that we came into the weekend expecting to hear a lot of positive Kentucky buzz about. Um, yeah, I know there were several uh, insiders on, on, on his crystal ball. I think there were three lock picks that were put in for him, six straight crystal ball predictions for, for Kentucky. A lot of very positive buzz on the kind of outside of things. Then when you kind of got into the, you know, into all of it this weekend, you only heard more and more things. People that know basketball, know recruiting, they all said, yeah, he's locked to Kentucky. It's a done deal. We're going to Kentucky. It's, it's, it's done. There's no way he's not going anywhere but Kentucky. Uh, but I talked a lot to his, his family, his dad, and, and his uncle specifically, and they were quite tight-lipped. I know, Sean, you, you heard a lot of the uh, – you know, you were there for a lot of the, the conversation on, on Saturday afternoon but or Saturday late evening. And they made it clear that no decision has been made. They didn't – you know, there hasn't been a letter of intent signed. They actually said that Kentucky hadn't even sent them a letter of intent yet, so that the only letter of, letters of intent they've gotten so far are from – what was it, LSU and Arizona at this point? Was it? Well, I thought, why don't I say Kansas? I, I think he's, I think it was Kansas and Arizona. It was Kansas. Like, and, yeah. I know they said LSU, though. LSU. I think yeah, was, LSU was for sure. And it also said that as far as best relationship with communication from beginning to end, it was LSU. LSU. And, and they also added, too, that they'll know where he's going the same time everybody else knows where he's going. Right. Which – yeah we'll see we'll see okay. I, I grain of salt grain of salt yes um and I, I will add that i asked about you know that everybody was talking about when arizona started picking up buzz uh because he did go to that their spring game he hung out they said that he was hanging out with some childhood friends people made a big deal about it and said oh he's a lock for arizona you know the the crystal ball pick came in for arizona and they were like oh he had a, a great time and he felt at home and all that I will add, um, they they kind of gave us a pretty interesting look into, uh, you know, that trip, and they said that it might have actually done more harm than good for Arizona's chances, which I thought was very telling. He said, because when you take a trip like that, you are, you know, during COVID, you are basically all by yourself. You're not allowed to get, you know, the coaches can send you like, hey, here's a virtual tour of our campus and stuff like that. But they can't be there to help you and walk you through and say, hey, that building right there is the business building. That building right there is this. And they said that they got like the, you know, the walk, the virtual walkthrough. And they were like, we were looking at it and it was saying that we were here doing something. We were looking up and there's like a statue in the virtual meeting and there wasn't a statue where we were looking. And they were like, this is not what we thought it was. And they said that it was more frustrating than it was like positive. And he was, you know, they were very clear that it taking visits to campus right now in today's day and age before that June 1st mark where uh, players can start returning to campus for you know unofficial and official visits uh, where, you know, coaches can lead them through campus and all that stuff. They were like, it was kind of overwhelming. He was like, we got through 30, 40, 45 minutes of it. And we kind of got pissed off and said, screw it. Let's go. Let's go to dinner. I don't want to do this anymore. Like Ty, they, they looked at Ty Ty and, and said, Ty Ty, have you seen enough? Do you know, you know, is this, is this what you want? He said, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to go. So it's one thing, you know, Arizona fans kind of got excited about, oh, he's on our campus. It, you know, that has to mean good things. Just because, he lives there. Just be, yeah, he, he lives there. Just because he's <laughs> physically on campus hanging out with friends at a, you know, at a spring game 
does not, you know, it does not mean anything. It, I think it, it, it genuinely hurt their chances and their recruitment and, and nothing that Arizona did wrong. It just wasn't a positive experience. It's kind of reminded me of the uh, Isaiah Stewart recruitment from a couple years back. People kind of talked about and uh, how it just, it was the dynamic of the visit itself. Things just didn't go right. And it kind of just turned off the family. And like, it wasn't like anything Kentucky necessarily did. I know they were uh, recruiting, I think Oscar Sheboy that same weekend, oddly enough, funny how that ended up working out for Kentucky, but it just ended up, you know, the timing didn't work out. It was just kind of a, a, a myriad of things kind of happened during the visit itself. And, and they were just like, you know what, just didn't get the right vibe from it. And they just kind of kept move, looking elsewhere at the other options. Kind of the same thing happened with, with Ty Ty that, you know, they, yeah, they like Arizona. They said, you know, uh, when, when they got their new coaching staff, they were all in, they were the first, you know, first people to call. They, he said that they FaceTime me three times a day for that first week, making, make it, making it be clear that, uh, um, you know, that they want me and I'm their biggest priority. And he appreciated that. I talked to his uncle who said, I kind of asked, you know, what was it like to have Arizona be that, uh, you know, kind of persistent at the start of that. And then that same week, Terrence Clark died at, K- at Kentucky and Kentucky just kind of had to take a major step back and say, we can't be all invested in, in this opportunity and in, in this situation as, as we want to be, just please give us some time. They said that, um, you know, they looked at that and, and, you know, Jay Lucas called specifically and said, Hey, can you just give us some time? And they said, we will push back this decision. We'll, we'll be patient with you as long as you guys need, we want to give you guys a fair chance. So when, when I heard that, that immediately cut out all the early Arizona buzz for me and, 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 you know, everybody that kind of assumed that that was a done deal and the way they, they were just very respectful of Terrence Clark and in, in that situation and the Kentucky coaching staff, I thought that was very telling only good things about Ty Ty Washington. He's a professional. I mean, you talk to him and it sounds like you're talking to a 30 year old. You talk to his dad, you talk to his uncle, two guys that know basketball, his, his uncle, Greg Moody's a coach. Um, so, you know, they're very smart basketball minds. They handle this, these, this recruitment, uh, you know, nothing indicates that he's not going to be a Kentucky Wildcat. After my conversations with it, with both of them, talking to other people that are very, very in the know in the recruiting world this this weekend, they you know all said over and over again, he's Kentucky. Don't sweat it. He is going to be a Wildcat. So, I I nothing. I came away more impressed with Ty Ty Washington as a player. Extremely impressed with who he is as a as a kid off the floor. He's super mature. You know, says all the right things talks like you're you know talking to a 30 year old great family i i came away from this event thinking ty ty washington's the one like he is he is the guy i i understand why kentucky's going all in on him and why he's their top point guard prospect i think i think it's a it's a perfect fit for sure we can i, I guess everybody else is now also talking about Jaden hardy and uh, kind of how he fits into the dynamic of things and kind of holding out hope that he is even though everybody kind of knows that the G league is so, you know, up there for him and that he's so interested in them that, that, uh, that maybe coach O being added on staff and coach Jin being added on, added on staff is going to change things. The a name image and likeness ruling is going to be, is going to be passed. It looks like uh, Mark Emmert said that they're going to try to push for something on, you know, by July 1st, like the, you know, we are very, very close to potentially seeing college kids getting paid, uh, for you know their own name, image, and likeness. So I think that is something that Kentucky is is pushing hard. Talked to a couple people at that event that said, you know, I I just 
I just don't know how it's not G League. I just it, there's just been so much smoke for so long with a G League. It's like yeah, if if it's I think the UCLA buzz kind of passed just a little bit, and I think if he is to choose a college, it's going to be Kentucky. I, I got that sense from several different people there uh, said that they're doing a, you know, really pulling out all the stops and really trying to make a, a big last second push. And as well as, you know, I, I just, I just don't want to get my hopes up the same way, like the Cade Cunningham situation where they pulled out all the stops said, we're, we're going to, you know, you are top priority. We're going to do whatever it takes to land you and still come up just short. And I just, I, I keep getting that sense. I, should have kept that sense with Oklahoma state last year. And uh, I just, I just don't want Kentucky fans to get burned again in a very similar situation where the G league is just so prominent. They've been there for so long. I think Kentucky is doing a phenomenal job, but I'm going to have to believe it, you know, believe it when I see it. I just don't think it's very smart to, you know, count your chickens before your before they hatch and just assume that, you know, just because, Coach O is here now. There's a magic wand that we're just going to be able to pull off anybody that we want, especially on such short notice. Uh, but I will, I will say that Kentucky is pulling out all the stops. They're recruiting their asses off, trying to get, you know, get him. The, Sean, we talked about on the show uh, the last time before we headed down to Memphis. I said Kentucky needs to be told no. They cannot go into this last week stretch and lose to UCLA. If if he commits to UCLA or he signs with UCLA it's an epic failure on Kentucky's Kentucky's part. The only realistic option that would make, you know, Kentucky fans go, all right, well, you know, got to do what you got to do would be the G league. It's, it has to be either Kentucky or G league at this point. And uh, you know, when you, when you have a player of his caliber, I, I just, you just use got to be told no. And I think Kentucky, I think John Calipari, Jay Lucas, the you know, Orlando Antigua, the whole coaching staff has now brought on that approach. They're going all in on it and, and basically going, in with the mindset of that he's going to have to tell us, no, we're going to, we're going to do everything we can until the very last minute and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I kind of want to ask you both what you think, you know, what would the addition of Jaden say Kentucky gets both Ty Ty Washington and Jaden Hardy on Saturday. What, what type of, of shot in the arm to the, to the, this fan base, to this program, just in terms of a, a national momentum perspective, what would, Jaden Hardy's addition mean Sean we'll start with you what what do you think that would do to this fan base you remember what it was like when uh John Calipari was hired in 2009 John Wall commits Eric Bledsoe commits yes it wouldn't be the level of all those guys but that's what it would feel like because you would then have a, a superstar a guy that the fans can instantly attach themselves to you get that swagger back like I said like you said don't it don't expect it don't get burned on this one. Obviously, there's been a lot of – it's been G League for a long time. Uh, but if if that did happen and you get both those guys on Saturday, Kentucky goes from, what, 31, 30 in the recruiting rankings to number one. That's that's how big of a deal it would be. Well, well and I and also I, I think that NIL stuff could – and especially with how that news is, is fresh, like with uh, – you know, they're trying to push it through this year. And that, if that does come into case, I mean, Jaden Hardy could theoretically make money at Kentucky next season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you would have to think that UK would be – that would be the number one thing. You know, if his argument is I want to go to the G League and get paid, well, you, we're going to – if Kentucky can offer that same thing, you know, obviously let's I'll, – I'll stay with you all and say that that's – I should temper my expectations there. But 
at the same time, you have to think that 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 NIL potential could could play into it, especially if that really is going to be driven home sometime this summer. But like like Sean was saying, he's a superstar, so he's a one and done. It'll be a top five pick. I mean, if you get him, it changes the entire trajectory of the season. You go from you know, let's say they get Ty Ty Washington and some other point guard, and this, the team has you know an NCAA tournament possibility, maybe a maybe an Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen type. Uh, uh, minimum or ceiling or however you want to say it, but Jaden Hardy makes some, you know, final four type teams. So that, that's, that would be the type of uh, addition he would bring. And I, I have to think that that NIL stuff might potentially play a role into it, but we'll have to wait and see how, if maybe it came in too late, who knows? Like if the NIL stuff maybe came two months ago, it could be a different situation. But now that the news on that is really starting to roll, who knows? I mean, we, you, after watching Ty Ty Washington this weekend, and knowing that he's kind of penciled in as that lead guard right now, knowing how impressive he is as a, as a distributor and as a, you know, he is very comfortable finding open shots. And just, I just keep going back and thinking in my head, Ty Ty Washington leading the charge at point guard and having CJ Frederick here, having Kellen Grady here, or, you know, or Jaden Hardy here or Dante Allen, you know, at the, you know, at the right corner or like, you, I just, I just think of these possibilities in my head of having so many catch and shoot players that who do you guard? Like, how do you, how do you even defend a team like what Kentucky could put out there with adding a player like Jaden Hardy who can not just shoot. He's not just, I mean, I think he's the best, best shooter in, in high school basketball right now. I think he is Bradley Beal 2.0, he's, but he's not just, just a shooter. He's a player that can put the ball on the floor and score at all three levels. He's strong. So, you know, some, a lot of the BJ Boston concerns of last year where he came in at, you know, 170 pounds, you know, you know, soaking wet, like that's, those concerns were always there with, with BJ Boston. I just kind of always assumed that his pure knack for scoring and shooting would be able to, you know, pay off and it, and it didn't. I mean, that was just, that was just a flat out miss on that part. But Jaden Hardy is an NBA, there's a reason that NBA teams are ready to pay Jaden Hardy right now. There's a reason the G League is saying we have a, a, a blank check. You can sign whatever you want. There are reasons that overseas team the MBL the you know all the different professional teams overseas are looking at Jaden Hardy and say we will give you we'll give you five million dollars this year if you want we'll give you four million three million whatever we'll give you the the lamella ball uh you know you come in here and you tell us what you want to get paid and we'll pay that for you like he is that type of talent because or he's he's getting that type of interest professionally because he is who he is people around you know the NBA ranks think of him as Bradley Beal 2.0 he is going to be a a day one ready-made elite scorer and shooter. And, I mean, just the, the idea of having him alongside a, a standout distributor who can also make shots in his own right in Ty Ty Washington, having Kellen Grady, a 20-point shooter, 20-point-per-game scorer at Davidson, and, uh, you know, C.J. Frederick, who did what he did at Iowa, and Dante Allen, who we, we've seen what he's capable of doing uh, here. I mean, it's just you you Kentucky fans wanted – to put a premium, you know, put, put a priority on shooting and scoring. And it just feels like Cal is going out of his way. Even if he, even if he misses on Jaden Hardy as, as we expect him to, it just feels different. Like it just feels like Cal is trying to build this roster in a completely different manner. Um, that, I mean, it would just be, it'd just be so freaking exciting. I mean, it's, it, it, 
definitely uh, gives gives reason for excitement after such a horrible year this this past season. It just it it feels just slightly different. And I will add uh, before we you know slowly wrap up shop. If Jaden Hardy doesn't come to Kentucky, I think that they have another point guard possibility kind of penciled in at this point on the transfer market that's not yet on the transfer market. Um, and I know it's a name that has been heavily discussed at you know on social media, and I know it's been kind of a something on message board talk, but it's different when you kind of talk to the people that are in it and are, are around the actual recruitments themselves who are talking about it like they did this weekend and saying that, yes, and I'll just put it out there that Jose Alvarado at Georgia Tech is the, is a name to keep a very close eye on. He's not even in the transfer portal yet, but um, I think he is very serious about if he does ultimately put his name in the portal about coming to Kentucky. St. John's is really going to want him. They're, they're um, kind of – penciling him in as their top guy because he's a local kid uh you know they'd, they'd want to bring him home and let him be the you know the guy at st john's but i think he kind of behind closed doors jose alvarado looks at kentucky as an opportunity to step in and, and lead kentucky to a national championship I, i've heard that he is a competitive fiery you know he he looks at competitions as screw it i don't care who's there i'm going to take over this position i'm going to help lead kentucky to a, a national championship and i think you know it's he you know he hasn't even he's he's georgia tech is recruiting him hard to, to come back to you know come back there josh pastner's you know kind of uh in his ear and kind of frustrated about how some of this behind the scenes stuff is is unfolding but i know that if if that opportunity presents itself it's going to be one that Kentucky is going to be very excited about and I think that obviously Jaden Hardy is priority number one because Jose Alvarado is not even in the transfer portal yet but if that if that opportunity comes about I think it's one that Kentucky is very excited about and I think it's one that both sides would be uh, very serious about just talking in their own internal circles about the the possibility of that unfolding I think that'd be something Kentucky fans should be taking a very very close uh keeping a close eye on to say the least. Interesting. A little scoop. Just a little, little, little scoop-de-doo. Just something to, to keep an eye on. Um, well, is there anything else that you can think of off the top of your head that you guys want to talk about uh, after seeing this weekend? Any last-second, um, you know, any last-second topics or, or things that you noticed at the event that you, you think the fans need to, to keep a close eye on or – Something you need to get off your chest. JD Davidson. Oh. Davidson is oh. one of it was probably he was easily my favorite non-Kentucky player there, Kentucky related player there, and it wasn't close. I mean, that kid, I didn't know much of anything about him. I knew he was an athlete, but I mean he's he's an athlete, let me tell you. I mean, he was won the dunk contest. He was doing some of the craziest like dunks that I've never I haven't seen NBA players do before. And, uh, but actually, during the game, he even then, he was probably the best point guard. Maybe him and Ty Ty Washington were the two best actual ball handlers that were out there. I mean, J.D. Davis, he could shoot. He could get to the rim. He was pretty good on defense. He's very quick. I was very impressed with uh, him, and I think he is going to be not fun to play against uh, when uh, U.K. finally does. And there was also another little kid. Uh, I shouldn't call him a little kid, but he's like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, uh, Ruffin was his last Ruffin. name. Ole Miss Going to Ole Miss, he is going to be a pest. 
and not he's another guy that is not going to be fun to play against and don't be surprised if he comes in and shoots uh, 11 threes in rep arena and scores 30 one day because he's he just seems like that type of player yeah and those, are my, those are my other my non-uk comments that, that i had davison is a player that he's so explosive and goes through you he's he's a thick strong explosive point guard and when he like when he goes up, he goes through you and powers up. He, he goes up into you and finishes at the rim or dunks on your face. Like, he is mm-hmm. just so damn explosive and so athletic. I mean, he, he was definitely a guy that he just kept making plays over and over again. I was just like, man, he's going to put up 30 points on Kentucky. One, I mean, very, this year, very likely, he's going to be a player that can, that's going to just take a game over. And, and I, I even tweeted something to the effect of, Kentucky fans need to keep a close eye on him because I mean he's just as as explosive and as impressive at the basket as I think anybody in the class. I mean he he just constantly found himself at the rim and blew by people and found easy uh, easy opportunities at the basket. I mean he's he's a player. He's absolutely a player, and I think I'm going to be secretly rooting for him and and kind of watching him from an entertainment standpoint i don't think there's going to be much you know better must see tv in the sec than jd davison i think uh, that whole alabama backcourt is going to be just absolutely filthy this year definitely uh alabama's you're going to want uh, jd davison to go one and done yes kentucky fans are going to want that to happen absolutely sean uh what what are your uh last second comments and feedback on the event on the event itself, the the one guy that really stood out to me, and I I would never want to be one on one with him, is Michael Foster. Oh, like that dude, big boy, is a tank. Uh, that'll be a guy here pretty soon in the NBA draft that you'll be hearing his name called uh, going the G League route. But man, what a tank! Unbelievable. And you're spot on with the Julius Randle comparison. I, I mentioned that his lower body isn't. I don't think it's as strong as what Julius's was, but my goodness, his upper body and stuff and just the way he moves like good luck meeting that guy head on and he's he's a a workhorse you know you remember when julius randall when his motor was 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 ticking there wasn't a guy that was going to beat him for a rebound there wasn't a guy that wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna let him get a put back dunk or a layup or you know julius randall was a guy that he'd get two three rebound opportunities even if he'd miss a miss a gimme down low he'd get that rebound and go right back up in your chest and finish the rim that's who mike foster is but he's our that same uh, julius randall starting to expand your game you know trying to be more of a point forward type deal kind of grab the ball and and go uh, you know push the fast break type deal that's kind of who who he is he's trying to be new york knicks julius randall not kentucky julius randall and i think that's pretty freaking scary if you ask me um yeah, I decided it was well, a, well, I want to know uh, everyone's favorite or who impressed you the most. Pure overall, who was the best player there? Paolo Bencaro. It's not close. He is, you think so? He is going to be – I think he's going to go down as one of the biggest misses of John Calipari's time at Kentucky. I think he is uh, the most college-ready – I think he's been college-ready for two years. I think he would have started at Kentucky two years ago. I think he would have he would have started over EJ Montgomery two years ago. I alongside Nick Richards, I I wholeheartedly think that uh, I I kind of came into this year thinking that he was PJ Washington, mm-hmm. just in terms of pure being able to you know that left shoulder hook. His post moves were just so just so polished. The the touch is there. The pure skill is there. 
And it seems like this past year he's done nothing but expand his game and work on his ball handling and try to become a knockdown shooter too. And I think from day one, he might be better than sophomore PJ Washington at Duke. And I know it's disgusting and it's very sad. And I hope the G league swoops in and steals him last second. He never plays a minute at Duke just to break all of their fans heart. But I will go to my grave saying Paolo Bancaro is the most impressive college college prospect I've seen in a very long time, just in terms of, of college readiness. I think he's going to be a 20, 20 and 10, 20, 20 and 12 type player from day one. I think he is a national player of the year contender. Uh, and I don't know what NBA teams are going to think of him because I think he's more, his game is more geared toward uh, the college ranks right now, but it's very clear that he's working on becoming more NBA ready, you know, expanding his range and, and you know, becoming more of a, a efficient shooter and ball handler and those sorts of things. Paolo is, he's, he's that man. And I know Kentucky fans won't want to hear it because uh, he turned down Kentucky to go to Duke, but you're not going to convince me otherwise that he's not, he's not the truth. Paolo Bancaro is, is absolutely worth, worth the price of admission. Sean, what do you think? Might be time to, might be time to kill it right there because Kentucky fans are probably ready to throw up. Listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to say what I had to say. No, Chet, Chet to me is who I go with when you look at his length and the way he moves and how much space he covers, shoots the ball, uh, just the total package. Him and Paolo Carroll both just on another level. Yeah, I thought Paolo was very good, but I agree. I think Chet was the best player there just for the variety. He lived up to the hype, in my opinion. He can shoot, he can dribble. Even with – even I, I've said this multiple times to Sean. He's, he's me if you just stretched me out another foot. <laughs> like we have the same – like we both weigh 170 pounds, like, but he could still get to the rim. There was times where you saw like his body frame being a little small where you're like, eh, but that'll, those are things that I think will, will be fixed. He's got the pure jumper. And it's something that uh, David Sissy actually pointed out that I didn't notice until he mentioned it. And I started to follow that and saw all the time was Chet Olmer was the guy directing traffic every single time. Even if he didn't have the ball in his hand, he was telling guys where to go. He just seemed very, he, he already just seems to have a very good understanding of the game and, and how to play it and, and where to go and where to be. And I think that's important, especially for a guy that's that as big as he is. If he knows how to get to his spots whenever he wants to, he'll be unguardable. There was, a, there was one play in particular. I, all three of us were standing by each other. Uh, it was on uh, the opposite end of the floor where or it was on our side of the floor, but on the opposite side of the entrance. We were on the, the other baseline. And he kind of got a rebound, kind of did a, a spin move, fadeaway, like Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway jump shot. And, and it, it kind of rattled around and went in. But I was, that was, a, I looked over at, at both of you guys and said, oh, get the hell out of here. Cause it, it like his touch at his size, it was just like that. It was like Dirk. I mean, it was genuinely like Dirk. I mean, it was like a, a turnaround, for just, just brilliant. Dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Dirt. Well, no, not like dirt. dirt. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, he's like dirt. He's no. better than dirt. He's quite better than dirt. Not probably not as good as as dirt, but no, he can have dirt. Definitely better than dirt. Anyway, oh, this was a very fun, very fun show. Very fun trip. We're looking forward to getting back on the road. But before we close the show out, the time has come for both of you guys to Zach, this is your first manscaped experience, I believe, isn't it? This is your first time on the show with, with, I've, I've heard, heard like we're all sitting in a room. I've heard you've done this read before. So I, uh, 
<laughs> I know what's coming. Uh, well, this is actually a brand new read. So you nobody has heard this before because, because the Lawnmower 4.0 has officially launched. That's Breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've been waiting for all along the manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer which is now available for purchase in the usa and canada this new trimmer was just released only moments ago and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the new the news join over two million men worldwide who trust manscaped with this exclusive offer only for you. Yes, you listening to this podcast. Only you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PILGRIM at manscaped.com. That's P-I-L-G-R-I-M. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I am absolutely blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are just absolutely next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is oh so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. Zach, I know you love that. What makes this trimmer different than all other trimmers? A new multifunction on-off switch that can, can get in it can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 K led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. This new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all, all through uh, additional guard lengths with sizes one through four and looks wise. Oh, get out of here. It's sleek with a two tone matte and gloss finish even features a hot foil stamped black, chrome manscape logo show that mower off loud and proud get 20 percent off and free shipping with promo code pilgrim that's p-i-l-g-r-i-m at manscape.com for 20 percent off with free shipping unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped i do not like elon musk for those asking <laughs> it was specifically made for uh, the Zach Gagan guys was the was the testes line was that supposed to be directly related to Tesla is that kind of where they went with that oh it might might have been might be interesting clever maybe clever for them then I give them props with that yeah it, it, it's it's revolutionary it's fantastic the product is great I got mine last week and just in time for the launch and let me tell you it is quite special everybody get on it that's promo code pilgrim uh, at manscaped.com 20% off free shipping we are looking forward to it the numbers have been great uh, the feedback has been great I know you guys love making fun of me for uh, my stupid ad reads but uh, I, I love how 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 much you guys make fun of me for it and we can we can all laugh together even though you guys are actually laughing at me not a with me type situation but that's all right I'm cool. I'm strong. I'm, I can make it through. We're all good. Guys, I appreciate you. It was one heck of a weekend. We had a good time. Looking forward to getting back out on the road and seeing more basketball here in the very near future. Uh, let's get out of here with that. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. Where can fans find your work? Well, Kentucky Sports Radio, of course. They can find me on Twitter as well, at ZGagan, KSR. Gagan is G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N, the triple G. Boom roasted sean where can fans find your work you can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and you can follow me on twitter at gbb country we might as well just 
copied and just paste that in every episode, right? Since Absolutely. I say the same thing every week. <laughs> yeah, I say the same thing every week as well. You can find I'm my say work. Country. There Ooh, we go. I like that. I like that. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another jam packed Sports to Say podcast. We will see you then.